Well, we are talking about what in the world makes a winning church. And we said there's three things, really, three ingredients. There's many things, but three ingredients that we're focusing on that really makes a winning church. And one is a church is missional. Uh, a winning church is missional. We're reaching people. We're uh, going to people. We're bringing the gospel to people. Uh, we're relevant. And three, we're spirit sensitive. Now, we've spent a couple of weeks talking about being a missional church. Gave you a few tools. Hopefully, you're using those and you're encouraged by that. That you can talk to people. You can invite people. You can do the work of an evangelist. Jesus said, go into all the world and um, preach the gospel. And that is too big of an assignment for me to do. And it's too big for you to do. But together we do it. It's, 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 a me- it's a commandment given to the entire body of Christ to go. You and I are supposed to go. Tell your neighbor, go. So don't get up and leave. <laughs> Not yet. Okay? But you're to go. And um, so I'm responsible for my sphere of influence. I'm responsible for the people that I'm close to. I'm responsible to, for my friends, my family, my coworkers, my neighbors, people that I'm around. That is my chief responsibility to go to them. Um, that is my first priority, my first call. And these are people who have names. These are people with faces. And we need to move beyond just saying the lost, the unchurched, and these big generic terms we use, and we need to start putting names to it. We need to start taking it personally. Who are the people in your sphere of influence? What are their names? And I gave you some tools to use to write those names down, daily praying for them by name. Every day saying, God, I'm, I'm, praying, for, I'm praying for Charlie. I'm praying for Jim. I'm praying for whoever this person is. And I'm going to, Lord, show me how do I cast the net? How do I cast the net to them? We need to begin to care and then ask the Lord, make us fishers of men. So we've been spending a few weeks talking about that. And today I want to I look more, more closely at the second important element of being a winning church. And that is we need to be relevant. We need to be relevant. What does that mean? What is, what is a relevant church? Well, we don't change our message. We don't change the truth. We don't water anything down. But relevant means that I'm relating to the matter under consideration or pertinent. That's what it means. That's Webster's Dictionary of, of the word relevant. In other words, being relevant means I have something of value to say. I have something worth listening to. Being relevant means that I have something to offer that matters, that makes a difference to a person's life. And that's what the church should be more than anything else in this world. The church should be relevant. And unfortunately, many churches have made themselves irrelevant. Many churches um, have made themselves of no impact. I've heard it said that Christians are a whole lot like manure. If you spread us around, we do a lot of good. But if you pile us up, we just stink. And there's many of churches that all we are is we're a bunch of Christians piled up, doing our own thing. Instead of making a difference, instead of being relevant, and, and instead of um, offering that which matters to people, many times churches sit around and we, 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 think, we, we speak our own language and we, we do things that we're comfortable with, the things that we like to do, the things that, are, that, that make me happy. We're pleasing ourselves. And, and, and instead of thinking, what 
What, do, what does the world need? The church is intended by God not to just sit around in our little comfort zones, but we're intended to reach a dying world with a relevant message of Jesus Christ. Because after all, the message we have is relevant. It's been relevant for 2,000 years. The message has never changed. For 2,000 years, we've had the same message. And for 2,000 years, it's been relevant to every time, to every culture, to every season, to every people group. But sometimes the way we deliver that message is not always relevant. And that's what we, and that's what we as a church must avoid. We have to adapt to a relative, a relative means without compromising the relative message. In fact, that's the very challenge that Paul lays out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. He says, for I, for, for I, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, the not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Would you say that with me? That by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What is Paul saying? Paul says, listen, everything he did, everything he did, how he lived his life, it was all based not on what made him comfortable, not on what was easy for him to do, not on what he was familiar with. It was all to win people by all means. His whole life was about this. Everything he did, it was all by any means necessary, any means possible, he's going to win some people. Let me ask you this morning, are you willing to do whatever it takes to win the lost? Is New Life Community Church willing to do whatever it takes or do we stop at what I like, at what I'm used to, and what I'm familiar with? Listen to me, if Jesus would leave the comfort of heaven, if Jesus would leave the, the reality of heaven and would come to this earth and live amongst us to save me, shouldn't we be willing to do whatever it takes to save the lost? Touch your neighbor and say, this church is about reaching people. It's about reaching people. Let me tell you something. The reason that this church exists, the reason we're here, is for John and Sue Borneman and for their daughter Kayla. It's for Dylan. It's for Isaac Palmer. It's for Adam and Amber. And it's for Charlie McKeefrey and Tim and Sue. These are just the people who got baptized this year. That's why we're here. And that's why we're going to continue to be here. That's why we exist and we continue to exist. That's why we're, we're, we're in this place. The church does not exist for those who are already members. We exist for all those who are not yet members. 
We're here for those who are lost still, and we're here because of them. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And the only way that we're going to make a difference in the lives of those who are not yet members, and the only way this church is going to be important in this community and have something relevant to say, and that's meaningful, and that's worthwhile, that'll make an impact for anyone who are the, the people that the, there's more people sleeping in on Sunday morning than are here in this church. And the only way we're ever going to make a difference for their lives is that if we, if we, we, we are going to continue to be a church that is relevant. The message is relevant. But the way we deliver it must be relevant as well. And so Paul says to the Corinthian church, listen, though I'm free... I have a right to do whatever I want. You as a Christian, you have a right to be comfortable. You can if you want to. Paul says, I'm free to do that. You are free, brother. You're free, sister. You can sit in your cell and sing sing kumbaya all day long if you want to and, and get your kicks. And just you and Jesus for the rest of your life. Paul says, listen. I am free to be what I want to be. I am free to be comfortable. I'm free to just do what I like to do. I'm free to stay to myself and never do anything to impact anyone around me. But he says, I make myself a slave. To the Jewish people, those who are living under the Jewish law, what does he say? I I, I make myself a Jew. Why? So that I can be relevant to the Jews, so I can win them. And to the Gentiles, those who are outside the Jewish law, what do I do? I become relevant to them so I can win some of them. And to those people that are weak, I become relevant to those that are weak. I speak the language of the weak people. I I communicate in a way that the weak people will understand what in the world am I even talking about. I know of a pastor in a church, and and it's it's kind of a highfalutin kind of church, and they speak in high theological language and all that kind of stuff. And, and there's some of us, you enjoy that. High theological speaking. But the reality is no one in his church even knew what he was talking about. So afterwards, they had a special meeting afterwards so that you can ask questions to figure out what were you even talking about when you use these huge words. That's irrelevant. In other words, this pastor probably had a very relevant message, but he's communicating in a way that was like, whew, No one even knew what the guy was even talking about. My wife and I have Bible school. We have have bachelor's degrees in theology. And we sat there going, I don't know what he's saying. What is he even talking about? And and that's, that's irrelevant. Paul is saying, listen, despite, in spite, and despite my background, and who I am, and what I know. And let me tell you, Paul was pretty smart. He had like a doctorate degree in modern terms. He was very intelligent. His his writings are kind of difficult to understand. The other gospel writers said, you know, Paul, he's hard to understand him. We know. We have a hard time figuring out what he's talking about. He says, in spite of all of my background... In spite of what I'm comfortable with, despite what I like and I'm used to, I will do whatever it takes to win some people to God. Whatever it takes, I will reach them for Christ. And the relevant message stays the same, but the way I deliver it becomes different depending on who I'm trying to reach. And that's our call. 
our call as a church is to share this relevant message in a way that the people of this community and beyond can understand and accept it. And so what does that look like? What, what, what our community needs is a relevant church. Pulaski, Green Bay area, we need a relevant church with a relevant message. So how can I do that? How can we do that as a church? Number one, our worship can be relevant. We can have relevant worship. What in the world does that mean? What is, what is relevant worship? Well, we can sing songs and we can organize a service so that anyone can come here and worship and be connected to God in a way that you'll get it. I can sit up here and I can preach a theological sermon that will go over your head that you don't even know what in the world I'm talking about. Or I can say the same message, but in a way that you can figure out what I'm even saying. Do you really need to know what is the hypostatic union of Christ? Or can I just tell you that Jesus is man and Jesus is God? And every one of us will go, oh, should have had a V8. Got it. I get it. Oh, now I'm showing my age. Y'all, everyone young's like, what's he talking about? What are you doing? I told, when I was teaching school, I said to one, I said to my class, you guys sound like a broken record. You know what they said to me? What's a record? I said, that's it. You're all staying after class. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> then you'll come on at Martin Luther back in 1527. 1527. Now, at that time, church services sang Gregorian chants in Latin. This is Germany in 1527. No one spoke Latin. No one spoke Latin. The Bible was written in Latin, and no one read Latin. The entire service was performed in Latin. And you went to church, and you sat there hearing all this gibberish. You were a German speaker. You didn't understand any of it. You went home, and you went, was ist das? <laughs> and it meant nothing to you. They were saying things that were relevant, but in a way that was completely irrelevant. So Martin Luther went to the local bars, and he listened to the music that was popular in the local bars. And he heard one popular song in the bar, and it sounded like this. Does anyone recognize that song? Come on, show your age. Who recognizes that song? Yep. What do we call it today? A mighty fortress is our God. He put Christian words to that popular hit song <laughs> of his day. It was contemporary worship, and he was ridiculed for it. He was persecuted for it. And people said this was wrong. It was ungodly. It was heathen to do such a thing. He put Christian words to that and he figured, listen, when these people stumble out of the bar and into church on Sunday morning, I want them to hear a familiar tune. I want them to hear a song that, that would strike their heart 
would touch them where they were right now, at the core of their being. In fact, many of the old hymns were barroom tunes with Christian words to them. Many, many of them were barroom hymns. You see, when the hymns were first written, they were, they were on the cutting edge. <laughs> they were contemporary. They were, they were relevant. And they made sense to the common people. And probably there were some people sitting in church on Sunday mornings over 100 years ago saying, these young people, these days singing these new hymns. Ah, they're all going to become like the world. You know, the church organ was such a, it it was just such a controversial instrument. Because the organ is what you had in the bar. And you brought it into the church. Evil. You wicked, wicked people. And now we have the opposite fights in churches. Why don't we have organs? Why don't we have hymns? Why don't we have those things, right? And people get caught up in these things. There's something powerful There's something relevant about singing a new song. Three psalms start with precisely these words. Psalm 96, Psalm 98, and Psalm 149. Sing to the Lord a new song. Isaiah 42.10 says, sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 33.3, sing to him a new song. And these uh, these all are in the command form, by the way. Sing to him a new song. I command you, Jesus, the, the Bible, the worship book of the Bible, Psalm, says you're commanded to sing a new song to the Lord. And Psalm 144, verse 9, adds its voice to the chorus, I, I will sing a new song to you, O God. So why is that important? Why is singing a new song so important? Why am I saying that the new music is important to have? Well, Psalm 40 gives us a clue. See, the psalmist in Psalm 40 had waited patiently for the Lord. He had waited on the Lord for deliverance. He waited for the Lord to show up and and bring him deliverance. And, and, And he says in Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When the Lord showed up and gave him deliverance, when the Lord showed up in his life, That day, the Lord put a new song in his mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. New songs of praise are appropriate for new rescues, for new manifestations of God's grace, for new manifestations of what God is doing today in my life. Not what he did just 100 years ago, but what is God doing today? What is God doing right now? And it's appropriate to remember what God did in the past. The old, the old songs remind us of, of the old manifestations and the old deliverances. We're, we're told in the book of Revelation, for, for one, in, in the new heaven, you're going to be singing the song of Moses, which is an old song. But you're also singing what? The song of the Lamb. That's the new song. God's deliverance now. God's deliverance in my life today. And as long as he keeps showing his power and moving, uh, moving us with his works, as long as God is still gracious toward us, we need to sing new songs about his ever, ever uh, endless grace and ever endless mercy and ever endless stream of deliverance from the Lord. We need to sing 
new songs directly inspired by what he's doing now. Why? So as Psalm 40 says, many will see and fear and trust the Lord. Tell your neighbor, he's still doing new things today. Still doing new things today. Our God is alive. Our God is moving. Our God is is on on the move. He's doing mighty things. He's still alive. He's still working. He still delivers. He still saves. He still rescues. He still heals. He is still relevant. And what he does and and who he is, it still matters and it is still relevant. And we need to be worshiping him in that way. We need to be singing new songs to the Lord. We need to be declaring what God is doing today. Not just what he did 100 years ago, But what is God doing today in a way that will touch people's hearts where they are right now today? So let our worship reflect that in a way that is relevant to this culture and the time that we're relating to. And listen to me, let the Holy Spirit have his way because when the Holy Spirit moves, he will touch you no matter who you are or where you came from or how old or young. It doesn't even matter because the Holy Spirit moves and he is relevant. He's going to show up right where you are, how you need him to be. When I got saved, I I stumbled into a church, and this lady stood up in a really loud voice in tongues, shut up, and it scared me to death. But then another one got up right after them and said, here's the interpretation, and and they read my mail. They said what happened to me when I, was, when I was driving to church that morning, I was crying out to God, and I was saying things like, God, God, you can't possibly love me where I am today. You can't possibly, I can't possibly ever be accepted to you. How can I go into the house of God today? How can I possibly come into your presence being the way I am today? How can I do this, God? This cannot be right. It just simply cannot be right, and it simply cannot be real. You know what the message was? You have said in your heart, God, I cannot possibly go into your house today. <laughs> and they quoted me verbatim. Now that's relevant. And I quaked in my shoes and I knew it was real. I knew God was real. It was fresh to me. I'm saying you let the Holy Spirit go in this place. And let him touch you right where you are in a relevant way. All of these ways we can have relevant worship. If we can get that video ready. You guys got a video for me? And um, there's another way we could be relevant. We, can, we, we must live our relevant lives. We have to live our lives must be relevant. And what does that mean? Watch this video for me, please. The old saying goes, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's true. Don't look at that person who ends up next to you and say, that person is way too different from me. I could not invite him to my church. I can't have my friends see me bringing this guy in. We need to see others as Christ sees them, with a holy compassion for the lost. You know what? We all need God, no matter what the person looks like, or how different they are from you. As Christians, we are responsible to reach out to those around us. Their eternity depends on it. We need to stop worrying about the opinions of others 
We need to open our eyes. New opportunities are put in front of us every single day to come out of our comfort zone, open our mouths, and speak these simple words. Hey man, if you're not doing anything this weekend, uh, check this out. We're doing something cool at our church. So. There you go. <laughs> I'm living a life that's relevant, and my life matters to someone. My life matters. And I'm reaching out to people the way Christ reached out to people, and that's right where they were. Right where they were. Now, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks about Jesus wanted to make you a fisher of men, right? Anybody remember this? You're a fisher of men. You know, when you catch those fish, they don't come clean. you got to clean them. They come stinky, they come smelly, and you got to clean them. And people we're reaching out to many times are a mess. You know why? Because they're spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 lays out our condition before we're saved. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you know what? The book of Colossians basically says the same thing. Without Christ, you're dead. You are spiritually dead. Prior to Jesus, I was dead. Prior to Jesus, you were dead. The world around us, your friends, your family, your neighbors, without Jesus, they're dead. Let me ask you, what do you expect from a corpse? What do you expect from a corpse? Not much, right? If you're smart, you don't take a corpse and expect them to dance around. You don't expect a corpse to give a speech. You don't expect a corpse to live any life. They're dead. Being relevant means I take somebody who is a corpse. They're dead. I don't expect them to act nice. I don't expect them to dress great. I don't expect a certain behavior out of them. They're dead in Christ. They're a corpse. And you know what? There's people who maybe they've had an encounter with Jesus, but you know what? The Bible says they're spiritual infants. What do you expect from an infant? I'll tell you what to expect from an infant. I've had five of them. They cry all night. They poop their pants. They make messes. They throw up all over you all the time. It's a mess. They make all kinds of messes. I remember when at my oldest son, Adam, was he had just learned to walk, and he was running around, and we were at my mom's house, and he opened her cupboard, and he was looking at the spaghetti, and she says, oh, maybe don't let him do that. I said, oh, he can't hurt anything. And prisoner went, and the spaghetti was all over the place. <laughs> He's made this big old mess, you know. And so that's what, that's what infants do. That's what infants do. Being relevant means we accept, we love, we reach people right where they are, whether they're a dead corpse or whether they're an infant or whether they're a spiritual adolescent full of rebellion, full of their own ideas. You can't tell them anything, right? 
and I'm, I'm going to, right where they are, I'm understanding where they are, and I love them right where they are, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He doesn't leave you there. He loves you enough to bring you along, but he finds you where you are, and he loves you right where you are. That's what he did with, remember the woman at the well? Not only is she a Samaritan, Jews had nothing to do with them, but she's a woman who's living in adultery. And the Bible says she has five, she has had five husbands, and now she's living with a man who she's not even married to. They're just messing around. They're playing house. Yet Jesus goes to where she was. In fact, he makes a special journey. He makes a special trip to make sure he could come in contact with this lady and be there right when she's there at the well so that he can have an encounter with her and he can talk to her. And he accepts her where she is, her dirt, her all, her background. She just, he just accepts her and he loves her to the Father. It's to this woman that Jesus states the heart of the Father in John chapter 4, 23. He says, but the hour is coming and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus is saying here that the Father wants people. He wants worshipers. He wants people. And in the context, listen to me. Jesus is saying to this woman who's living in adultery, who's living a, a life that is just broken. Think of the life she has lived. Not only has she had five husbands, how much heartache can a person endure in their life? I can't imagine. I've been married to one woman, and it's not easy. <laughs> and she's a pretty great woman. I can't even imagine the heartache. Those of you who have gone through a divorce, it breaks my heart. I can't imagine the heartache that that is. It rips your heart out, Right? Five times at least this woman has had her heart ripped out. She is now living with a man who won't even honor her enough, who won't even respect her enough to marry her and is using her body for his own purposes on a daily, nightly basis. She's probably so low and she's probably so wasted in so many ways and broken and in the midst of that place, in the context, Jesus is saying, the Father wants you. The Father wants you. And if you're here this morning, I'm telling you, the Bible says the Father wants you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done or what your background is. The good news is the Father wants you. The Father loves you. He desires you. So you can at least go home today knowing that you are wanted. You are desired. You are loved by the Father. That is the message that's relevant for the whole world needs to hear this. This is what I needed to hear in my brokenness, in my mess, driving in that car feeling like I don't even have a right to go into that place today. I'm so broken. I'm, I felt so ashamed. I felt so dirty. I felt so horrible. And for, for the father to say, I was there, son, and I heard your cry. I'm already there with you. Before you even called upon me, I was there in the car with you, sitting with you in your pain and in your shame and in your, in your self-loathing and self-disgust. That is the message that we need to be pre bringing to people. Right where you are, not when you get cleaned up, not when you get better, but while you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. 
And that's the message of Jesus. He didn't go after the perfect people. Jesus didn't go after those who had it all together. He went after the lepers. He went after the demon-possessed. He went after the prostitutes. He went after the tax collectors. He went after the cheats and the scoundrels. He went after me, and he went after you. And he wants you right now today, mess and all. And this lady hears this message. Listen, she brings her whole village to Jesus. Here is a man, she says, who knows everything about me. He knows everything I've ever done. And he wants me. He desires me. You have a father today. What are you trying to hide? You can't hide anything from me. He sees it all. He sees every hidden thing you've ever done. He sees every thought you've ever had. Every imagination that you've ever imagined. The father saw it plainly and clearly. And you know what? He loves you anyway. And he wants you. And while you're still a sinner... Christ died for you. And if we will be a church that will accept people right where they are, without judgment, without condemnation, man, church, listen, people will not only come, they're going to bring others with them. Because this will be a safe place. This will be a place that's going to be relevant place to them with a relevant message, making a difference in their lives right where they are today. That's what we have. That's our message. That's what we need to do. So ask yourself, who is, who, who is your life relevant to? Do you matter to people around you? Are you living your life in a way that matters to anybody? Are you just ready to tell them all what they're doing wrong? And when they see you coming, they want to hide and go the other way because they don't want to hear again how bad they are. Does your life make a difference for Christ and other people's lives? Are you loving people? Are you caring for people? Are you reaching out to people right where they are in a way that shows them the love of Christ? Does your life matter? Is it pertinent? Is it relevant? Let's go live relevant lives to people. But listen to me, don't you just sit there right now and, and just say, oh, poor me. Oh, yeah, no, I don't matter to anybody. Oh, no, stop it. Go be relevant. Change it then. If you don't matter to anybody, that's your problem. Go change it. Start mattering to somebody. Start making a difference. Start loving on people. Start sharing with people. Go to your neighbors. Go to your friends. Go to your family members. Say, hey, can I pray for you? Do all the things we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Because there's a dying world waiting for you to show up. Saying, I got the answer. Jesus delivered me. Jesus changed me. And he can change you too. I once was lost and now I'm found. And you have a relevant message to share with your friends and your family and your neighbors. Amen. I want you to stand with me this morning. Jesus. Church, let's be relevant. It's so much more than, you know, singing the latest, greatest hits. It's so much more than that.
We're talking about impacting people right where they are. We're talking about letting the Holy Spirit help us and lead us and guide us to lives who are desperate for Jesus. Lives like mine, lives like yours. They need to hear the message of Jesus, the message that makes a difference for their lives, that God loves them right where they are. Yes, we need to be doing things that make sense to people in our culture, yes. But without the Holy Spirit's anointing in our lives, we can do nothing. We're just a bag of wind. But the Holy Spirit wants to touch you today. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But listen to me, before he did that, he said, you wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. You don't leave Jerusalem until you are endued with power, with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you up. We're going to have our altar workers come this morning. Come on up, altar workers. And listen, we're here to pray with you this morning. We want to pray with you that God would anoint you, that God would touch you, that God would empower you today with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is relevant. The Holy Spirit is alive. The Holy Spirit is fresh and new today. He's working in the earth, and he wants to empower you. He wants to fill you, first of all, with his love and compassion for the lost, and secondly, with with his plan, his purpose, his mission for you. How are you going to do it? He wants to fill you with power to do it this morning. You're not alone. You don't have to do this on your own. But the Holy Spirit wants to touch you and fill you with his power and anointing this morning. We're also here to pray for you if you need healing in your body, if you have a need in your life. If you need to call upon Jesus today, maybe you're listening to this message and say, you know what, I, that's me, I'm a corpse. I'm dead in Christ. I'm not alive today. I'm a, I'm a walking bag of bones. I, I don't have eternal life with Jesus. I've never invited Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I have, I've never lived for the Lord. I've lived my life for myself. I've never been born again. I've never had the Holy Spirit come upon me and change me and make me a new person. If that's you, you come this morning. These, these men and women up here, they know how to pray with you and they know how to help you to come to Jesus today. And so that's what we're here for. We're here for you. We're here for you because Jesus is here for you. Jesus loves you. He cares about you so much. So you come this morning if you need prayer. If you want to just wait on the Lord, you can just stay in your seat and wait. You can kneel in your chair if you want to. Feel free to, however you want, Join us afterwards for some cake and fellowship, um, no matter how late you're here. Bless you guys. Just come. Receive this morning.